I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa, so sweatpants, sweatshirt. Anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. Jonji makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. Another reason to love Jonji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to Jonji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at Jonji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. When I was a little kid, my whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge Caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip, I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. I live by routines, especially my same-day delivery routine with Shipt. Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shipt, delight in every delivery. Learn more at Shipt.com. So it had snowed around Thanksgiving, and then that snow melted. And it remained cold up high, up high in elevation. Uh, but the roads opened over the high passes, And the ice, um, the lakes, were not buried in snow, so the ice was bare. And I had a friend who was working in Yosemite at the time, and she called me up. She was like, you've got to come up and record these lakes. This is Cheryl Leonard, a sound artist from California. You're hearing a composition she made with recordings of lake ice in Yosemite. I got there around dawn. I have uh, the sounds in the morning of the, it's like the lake waking up, really. Do you, do you know what's the process that's creating each of those sounds? I, I know in general it has to do with the ice expanding and contracting if it's warming or cooling. So more sounds happen in the morning and the evening as the temperature is changing dramatically. And as the, the ice, it's literally like getting smaller, getting larger, and it's stuck in a spot. So it, um, it flexes and it mm. buckles and then it cracks. And that, those actions create vibrations or sounds, and then that sound travels across the surface of the lake, the frozen lake. It's like a giant drum membrane. Mm. So as the sound travels across that membrane through the ice, the high frequencies go faster, and the low frequencies are slower. 
So the highs hit your ear first and the lows hit your ear later. So you hear this sort of glissando from the highs to the lows, like doo, doo. Yeah. Uh, which most people recognize as like the Star Wars blaster sound. So, so when, whenever you're on a, a lake that's making these sounds, um, do you have? Does it evoke something for you? I mean, it is still for me something that kind of evokes a, a bit of dread. Yeah, it's not scary to me. I just think it's really incredible. It's just beautiful. It's yeah. like, it's like traveling to another universe or something. It is a different world under the ice of a frozen lake. That used to be the traditional thinking, is that there's just uh, not enough light, there's no plant growth, all lakes kind of become boring and dark and the same in the winter. But it turns out that this is really not the case. This is Outside In, a show about the natural world and how we use it. This is one from our occasional series, 10 by 10, where we look very closely at a specific type of environment. Today, we're going under the ice. What happens in a lake once it freezes over? What survives and how do they do it? We're going to start on top of the ice, ice fishing. And if you were thinking, uh, Sam, I am a science person. I don't care about ice fishing. What are you doing to me here? Well, get a load of this. Straight from the mouth of a real frozen lake scientist, Ted Dzerski. I kind of always say this a bit tongue-in-cheek, but maybe that's true, is that ice fishermen know more about what happens in lakes in winter than the average uh, aquatic biologist. Ergo, fishing. They got a flag. So when you see a flag, you've got to yell flag and run towards it. That's a rule. Everybody? That's everybody. All right. Yeah. Should we get over there? We should go. All right. Okay. Producer Taylor Quimby recently went ice fishing with his son, Finn. I think I'm not good at running on ice. Taylor's tour guide. Hey, I'm Clay Gross, chief executive fish nerd of the Fish Nerds podcast. I live in New Hampshire. <laughs> Longtime friend of the show. Totally, totally untrustworthy. Yeah, we, our tagline for our show is, uh, is always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. So I'm not held to being honest. I am a fisherman. But when it comes to what's active under the lake ice, Clay does know a thing or two. Yellow perch, white perch, black crappie, burbot, smallmouth bass, largemouth bass, yellow bullhead, brown bullhead, margin mad time, tessellated darter, swamp darter, northern red belly dace, fine scale dace, creek chub, bluegill, pumpkin seed, uh, banded sunfish, uh, let's see, Atlantic salmon, lost track, did we see burbot already? The first thing you need to know about the water under a layer of ice is that it's actually not that bad down there. In the winter, it's warm at the bottom, and that's why most of the fish are down at the bottom. So it's usually about 38 degrees at the bottom, 
If 38 degree water doesn't sound very warm to you, consider that maybe just 20 feet higher up above the ice, it might be 30 below zero and blowing a gale. So, while it's definitely chilly under the ice in winter, compared to other extreme winter environments, it's not that bad. So what, what are you catching uh, in this lake? So this lake is mostly, we, they call them warm water species, so bass, perch, sunfish, that sort of thing. But it's a strange thing to call a fish a warm water species when they're living under the ice, right? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Now let's ponder this for a second. The whole reason fish can thrive in a frozen winter lake is because the ice forms on top, effectively capping the lake off, limiting how much water and winter air interact, making it so the whole lake doesn't freeze solid. And why is that? Water is really weird. Ted Azerski again, who, by the way, is with the University of Minnesota Duluth. Uh, it's a really weird substance. We take it kind of for granted because it's everywhere, but if you look at other liquids, uh, water is really different. And the weird thing with water is that its temperature of maximum density, where it's heaviest, is uh, 3.96 degrees Celsius. Which in Fahrenheit is around 39 degrees. That means that the really cold water that's right up top, right by the ice that's sitting at like 34 degrees and is at risk of freezing soon, is actually lighter than the warmer water down below. So in the summer, when you dive into a lake and it's warm at the top but cold a few feet down, in the winter, the lake turns over. In the winter, the opposite thing happens. So the water at the very surface is getting cooled down to close to uh, freezing temperature, and that makes it lighter than the water uh, underneath it. This weird quality of water is also what makes ice float. Most substances on Earth are more dense as a solid than a liquid, so they sink. But if you've ever had a drink with ice cubes in it, you know that they bob up to the surface. And the same thing happens in a frozen lake. Ice forms on top. If frozen water sank to the bottom of lakes, the water at the surface would stay exposed to the frigid temperatures all winter long, and more and more of the water would freeze, maybe eventually freezing the whole lake solid. But instead, it floats. Ice has the unique property of floating. It's one of the only solids that is less dense as a solid than a liquid. That's why we have life on the planet. Without, if ice didn't float, we'd have no life. Really? Yeah, it's a true story. That's actually probably not true. Or at least, it's complicated. And what's more, if you think a frozen lake is a bad place to be a fish, you have got to learn to think like a fish. We have eagles around here. You're under the ice, you're safe. From eagles, not from me. So ice actually keeps fish warmer than they might be otherwise. Ice keeps them safe from predators. What's not to like? Hold still, right here. He's coming. Don't do anything. He's about to bite. Yeah! Oh, pumpkin seed! Look at the size of that thing! Wow! Well, there are hardships down there. We'll hear about it after a break. I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa, so sweatpants, sweatshirt. Anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. Jonji makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. 
They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. Another reason to love Johnji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to johnji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at johnji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Before the break, we learned that cold and ice really aren't that much of an impediment to most of the organisms that live in frozen lakes. But if you are looking for threats to life under the ice, one of the biggest is that during the winter, fish can suffocate. So a lot of the oxygen that uh, um, enters lake either enters from the atmosphere or through uh, photosynthesis. In the winter, you have a disruption to both of these processes, right? So the lake is capped uh, by this layer of ice. That floating cap of lake ice cuts off oxygen from the atmosphere. And if the ice is covered with snow, that cuts off the sunlight, too. The plants can start to die, and as they decompose, they stop producing and start consuming oxygen. Meanwhile, the fish and other creatures keep breathing, so the oxygen in the water gets lower and lower. One of the consequences of that can be uh, these winter fish kills, where in some lakes, the oxygen can get so low uh, in the water column that um, all the fish and, uh, will essentially die because of suffocation over the winter. The whole lake choked off, lifeless. Not every lake does this. Deeper lakes have a bigger store of oxygen and can make it through the winter just fine. But even still, this idea of a choked off, frozen, silent world is one that has led people to assume that there's not much action under the ice in the winter. For the scientists who study lake life, the time to do that's in the summer, right? Uh, I think it kind of highlights how science sometimes has these blind spots. People haven't been studying winter very much, which leads to people assuming that nothing is happening, uh, which makes people not interested in studying what's happening in the winter, which again leads to there being no studies of winter and kind of feeds this uh, circle of, in a way, ignorance where you know you don't find anything interesting because you're not studying it. But hang out with a fisherman and you'll get another story. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, yellow perch. Look at the size of that oh, thing. Look at the size of that thing. Holy <laughs> Look at the size of that pumpkin seed. Oh, my God. Whoa. Oh, that's a big one. Yeah. That's a good one. Whoa. 
Sure, there are fish that slow way down during the winter and survive by just doing way less. Kind of the same strategy that bears have above the ice. So you have your warm water fishes, we're talking about bass and pickerel and and yellow perch, they like to hug the bottom where it's nice and cozy warm at like 38 degrees. That's where they're going to be. But the idea that this is the only way to survive the winter, by hunkering down and conserving calories, that's only part of the story. But you have your cold water fishes. So like rainbow trout will cruise with their, with their fin, they're touching the top of the ice. And they'll do is they'll chase minnows and shiners and stuff into shallow water and corner them and gorge on them all winter. They love the ice. Clay's favorite cold water fish is the burbot. Yeah, some people call them eel pouts, lawyers, lingcod. Their Latin name is uh, Loda Loda. Fish so nice, they named it twice. All summer long, they're really hard to find because they spend their time down where it's cold, not doing much. And then when the lakes freeze, they come to life. And they spend all winter gorging and eating. And then in March, they have these. They get together in the shallow waters, rocky bays under the ice, and they have these giant, big, slimy orgies making new fish. And it's amazing. And they're delicious. <laughs> the important part. Yeah. <laughs> in other words, some fish aren't like bears. They're like foxes, out and about all winter long, cruising through that weird layer of light, cold water at the top of the lake that's all full of oxygen. In fact, you don't have to go very deep to find the action in frozen lakes. Some of the craziest stuff is going on right where the water and ice touch. And it's all driven by another weird thing about ice. I know if you, if you went to the sea and you licked sea ice, it would taste fresh. As ice freezes, all of the stuff dissolved in the water is excluded. So if you think about the ice freezing uh, at the top of the lake or, or in the sea, as the ice builds, it kind of squeezes all the stuff, the salt and the dissolved organic matter that was in it, uh, and um, increases the concentrations of this stuff right below the ice. Which means that right at this margin, between the ice and the water, things can grow. You can have algae attaching directly to the bottom of the ice, uh, what they describe as these like uh, algae beards almost hanging down from, from the ice into the water. <laughs> And and I assume that we're, we must be talking microscopic beards. No, they can be, like, visible. They can extend, you know, like a foot down from the ice. Really? Yeah, Sam, really. In fact, if you just set your expectation for what constitutes interesting activity a little bit smaller, there's some wild stuff down there. Algae are really weird. Phytoplankton are weird. Some algae are what's known as mixotrophic, so they can either use light or they can uh, eat bacteria, for example, or they can even use dissolved uh, organic material to feed themselves. Um, so these mixotrophic algae that can utilize different energy sources become, uh, in some cases, more abundant in the winter. Most phytoplankton are autotrophic. Like most plants, they use sunlight to make their own food. These little mixotrophic guys can do that, but they also can eat stuff that's floating in the water. They're like the Venus flytraps of the microscopic plant world. And they actually do better in the winter. And even the tiny little things that don't like the cold have got some pretty amazing strategies for surviving the winter. Um, what eats the algae are zooplankton. Uh, and some species of zooplankton are very uh, kind of avoidant of cold water uh, winter conditions. Remember, phytoplankton equals tiny plants, zooplankton equals tiny animals. 
so they are able to produce this resting egg when they feel that the conditions are deteriorating, the summer is ending, there's less food, it's getting darker. Um, they put all their energy into producing this one uh, resting egg that's really uh, strongly armored kind of, and then when they die, sinks down to the sediment. Uh, and it can actually remain viable in the sediment for hundreds of years. And there's a whole branch of ecology called resurrection ecology where people try to resurrect these you know, hundreds-year-old eggs of zooplankton. The idea that it's dead down there? That's a fallacy. Even when some things in lakes do die, you can bring them back, like some tiny lake deity. And the story is that uh, there was a god and goddess that lived together on, in a shrine on the lake. And uh, what happens when people live together for too long? Sometimes they got into a disagreement and the goddess moved out and she built herself a shrine on the other side of the lake. But every winter, the god would cross the frozen lake with his dragon to make amends with the goddess. Sapna Sharma is a professor at York University in Toronto. And this story... The god and the goddess, falling in and out of love every year from opposite sides of a frozen lake, is the inspiration for the world's longest-running lake ice data set. Fifteen generations of the same family of Shinto priests have been recording this information since 1442. They kept records of when the lake would freeze and when a distinctive ridge of ice connecting the two temples would form. It's a great story, but it's also very useful to climate scientists who are studying lake ice. And what you see, if you do what Sapna has done and look not just at this single lake, but at lakes all across the northern hemisphere, is a trend that will surprise literally no one. There is a trend towards earlier ice breakup and later ice freeze. And uh, some lakes that historically froze every winter are, are, are beginning to no longer freeze. For example, this lake in Japan, in the first 250 years of the time series, it didn't freeze three times. But if you look at the last three decades, it only freezes two times out of 10 years. But we also uh, looked at the lakes that are still freezing. When might they expect to become ice-free? And we were really surprised at how fast uh, these changes are expected and how fast the warming is um, going to impact lake ice cover. So if we think about, um, for example, Lake Mendota is one of the world's uh, best studied lakes in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, its ice record goes back to the 1850s, frozen every year. And our models indicate that by the mid-2020s, that lake is not going to be freezing every winter. That's really soon. So there are people fishing here, and uh, our friends over here have these traps in the water. A little flag just popped up, and they are checking to see if there's any fish on their lines. You got a fish on there? No. Oh, too bad. As those lakes stop freezing, everything that has adapted to exist above and below the ice will find it harder and harder to exist. Tiny Venus flytraps getting crowded out by your standard lake algae. Slimy winter fish orgies under the ice disappearing in favor of ever more smallmouth bass. No more crossing the lake with your dragon to make up with your goddess. No more pond hockey. And for Clay, 
he'll only be able to say, look at the size of that one in the summertime. But we, we'll ask one question to everybody, like, you know, why do you like to fish? And no one can answer the question. It doesn't make, it's, fishing is the dumbest thing on the planet. It does, like you think about it. I'm gonna bait a hook with a worm, drop it down through the ice, catch a fish, look at it, put it back in the water and do it again. There's no outcome, like there's nothing, there's no goal. It's just fishing and it's senseless. It's dumb, I don't know why I like it. I can't explain why I like it. I'm waiting it. for the turn here. But there's no turn. It's the dumbest thing ever and I love it and I can't explain it. But if you think about a lot of things in life that bring you joy, it's really hard to explain them. It's when you really get into it, most things we do are dumb and you just do it because it makes you feel good. Hear him go? Yeah. All right, buddy. See you later. Outside In was produced this week by me, Sam Evans Brown, and Taylor Quimby, with help from Justine Paradise and Jimmy Gutierrez. Erica Janik is our executive producer, and Maureen McMurray is the director of hating, gratuitous, splashing sound effects. Special thanks to John Magnuson and Stephanie Hampton for directing us to the right folks for this story. Music in this week's episode came from Blue Dot Sessions, Ikimashu Aoi, and Lee Rosevere. All the sounds of Lake Ice are from Cheryl Leonard's composition, Frozen Over. If you'd like to check out more of her work, we'll put a link at our website, outsideinradio.org. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. to go ice fishing. So they took their icing fishing rod and a drill to the ice. They drilled a hole and put their line in the in the ice. And then they heard there's no fish under the ice. So they moved and drilled another hole and put their line down again. Then they heard it again. There's no fish under the ice. They moved a final time, and they sat down, and they drilled their holes and put their lines down. Then they heard, This is the rink manager. There's no fish under the ice. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Can I use that on the radio? Yes. Okay, cool. I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa, So sweatpants, sweatshirt, anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. John G makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. 
Another reason to love Janji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to Janji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at Janji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. I live by routines, especially my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. Because when Sunday rolls around, I'm not scared. I got my shopper on the way with all my favorites. Shipped, delight in every delivery. Learn more at Shipped.com.